Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, this is Erin Carey with Sparking Wholeness, and today we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics, if you haven't noticed. I love to talk about deep healing from trauma, and sitting here with me today is Suzanne Simpson. She is the owner of Renewed Life Counseling. She's a licensed professional counselor, board-certified life coach, author, and speaker who works with people to help set them free from emotional trauma so they can live a more victorious life. Through her intuitive insight, she has helped multitudes of people for over several decades make significant life changes, offering coaching and inner healing methods. She spent multiple years coaching people through Anthony Robbins Corporation and doing emotional healing in her private practice, Renewed Life Counseling. She is a newly published author of a book, Lost and Restored, Healing Your Heart with the Father, a faith-based approach to digging into your life's events that have significantly impacted you. In addition, she has an ebook, Eight Strategies to Stop Self-Sabotage. Her practice is in Littleton, Colorado, and she can be found on her website at www.renewedlifecounseling.com. So Suzanne, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks, Erin. I'm glad to be here today. This is going to be really good. And you guys, I got to tell you, before we get started, I was telling Suzanne earlier, I finished her book last night and I realized I have some work to do. And there are things that I have sifted through with my past and I know that um, I have been restored from, but there's still more work to do. And her book really touched me and really brought out some, some things that I can work on even more. And so I appreciate the work that you're doing, Suzanne. And I can only imagine um, how other people have, have benefited from your work over the years, because you've been doing this for how long? 25 plus. I, I think it's 30, actually. But it's yeah. 30. And I've just sort of gradually built on background. You know, you don't get everything in college, that's for sure. And yes, yes. A lot of different um, trainings and ways that I could learn alternative methods that would unleash people much more quickly. Mm-hmm maybe just the traditional type of talk therapy. Yeah, yeah, because you studied traditional talk therapy to begin with, right, when you got your Yes, counseling. I did, and that's really what you get in school. It's, it's more working with the mindset and shifting called cognitive therapy. Mm-hmm. You also learn some other methods. You learn all the people that have developed different types of transformational methods through the years, all these key um, I should say psychologists that have come up with different ideas on how people transform, um, which is interesting to draw from some of those backgrounds. Uh, but it seemed like I've had to kind of seek out alternative ways of um, methods that would really unleash people and they would just talk about it, that they would really get some healing. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, one of the things that that I've learned as I've been studying more about trauma is that we don't, we can't always, we don't always have the ability to store trauma in our brain and in our memories, right? Mm-hmm. Or it in our body as well. Right, exactly. In fact, I've been learning about how to work with younger kids and they're all about stored in their body. You know, that's how they feel it. That's how it, it shows up with kids. Mm-hmm. Adults are the same way. You know, we have, emotions that we've held on to probably trashed through the years <laughs> these different emotional upsets and usually it's the negative ones but we've stored those in different actually cells of the body and we find that now the research really is available to us to show us what what we do with emotions and how that impacts our life you know towards good healthy relationships good career paths and you know just feeling good mm. Yeah. And, and I remember when I first heard about the adverse childhood experiences test, the ACE study, is that what it's called? Where, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how, you know, how your childhood was, whether you had a very nurturing upbringing or whether you experienced a lot of losses, it can kind of predispose you towards specific illnesses later on in life. Right. And not just mental health, although that's, that's one, it also right. predisposes people towards physical 
uh, like autoimmune oh, and and mm-hmm. heart and and all of these other th- chronic diseases that we suffer from today. Um, what happens to us when we're little kids can affect that later on, right? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I find if doctors understood this, they they would refer out quite a bit to mind body type of work because I I just know how much emotions get stored and and it shows up in like an autoimmune illness or it can show up with a body sensation in my book my husband had you know this imbalance of just pain in his mm-hmm. arm and he didn't know what what that was and he he began asking God to show him and it led to some early abuse that he wasn't even cognizant of so you know it can show up in headaches it can show up in many times in nightmares or dreams or problems with sleep and and just feeling energy you know because it drains you to have emotions that you're holding on to yeah yeah wow that's crazy so tell me a little bit about what makes the work that you do stand apart then from now knowing what you know how does it stand apart from the traditional methods yeah well that's a good question i found that because i had been trained more traditionally i started off that way and i did a lot of managed health care and i found that people would get great insight and they would talk about their problems, but were they really getting lasting change? And that's what concerned me. And so what's different I think, is that I've studied the energy psychology field. I've studied lots of um, inner healing type methods that literally um, allow the person to have an experience, whether it's with God or whether it's with their own emotional life that's internal, so that they can shift from from the left brain over to the right brain and be able to release what's there. So I think what I'm particularly strong in is helping people release some of those emotions that they've never really wanted to take a look at or know know that it was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what kind of a person is, is typically your, you know, client that would seek you out as opposed to, you know, a traditional therapist that, you know, you can cover through insurance, like, you know, bring somebody to your office. They usually have been through that route first (laughs) and found that, you know, they needed more. Um, They got some insight. They felt like maybe it helped when their marriage was struggling. They needed to deal with communication issues with their spouse, or they just needed to have someone going, you know, as they were going through a crisis to kind of hold their hand and take them through it. But I find that usually a good fit for me is someone that is spiritually oriented. I have a faith-based practice as well as people that don't come out of that background. Um, but if, if they have that, it's great because we can bring price into that process. Yeah. And then when that happens, a lot can be cleared out uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Um, but, you know, some people don't have that background. And so I would say somebody that is ready to get lasting change and they're ready to move forward in ways that maybe they hadn't found in the past. Mm -hmm. It's people that don't even know that they have a root to what they're dealing with. You know, they, there's subconscious and there's conscious. So conscious is about 10% and the subconscious is about 90%. So if they don't even know what's underneath the iceberg, so to speak, then it's difficult for them to dig, dig in deep enough with just traditional talk therapy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. And, you know, I want to stop you right here, Suzanne, and take a second to thank our sponsor for today. Our sponsor is the Wondery app. Now, you can start your 30-day free trial of Wondery Plus for ad-free listening, exclusive shows, binges, and early access in the new Wondery app. Download the app today. Now, the Wondery app is my favorite place to experience all of the amazing Wondery shows. So this is the team that brought you some of my favorite podcasts like Dr. Death, The Shrink Next Door, Business Wars, and more. And so today I really want to highlight this specific show, Blood Ties Season 2. This is the newest Wondery Plus early access exclusive show. Now I love a family drama story, a la Succession with a murder twist like Dirty John, and this one is just as fun. It features 
Josh Gad, Jillian Jacobs, and Dominic Monaghan. They all star in season two of this addictive drama series. Totally binge-worthy. And the premise is that Peter Richland is alive and only his son Michael knows the truth. The new installment uncovers disturbing revelations and takes us on a wild ride. So with their family's legacy on the line, they must come together to answer an important question, money or the truth. Stay tuned at the end of this episode for a sneak peek. We're going to get a sneak peek into the Wondery Plus early access show, Blood Ties Season 2. And be sure to start your 30-day free trial of Wondery Plus for ad-free listening, exclusive shows, binges, and early access in the new Wondery app. Download the app today. Now, we'll switch back to what we were talking about before, Suzanne, and that is what happens with trauma and when it goes unchecked because like you were saying it is it's really kind of hard for a lot of us to get to the root of trauma and I know I've experienced that in my own life that I was having a lot of mental health concerns because I wasn't dealing with the trauma and so in your opinion what happens when we don't process our trauma and when we stuff our feelings well I think the number one thing is they may end up in the doctor's office or they may end up with a psychiatrist and they they feel depressed or they have a lot of chronic anxiety. Uh, they may have this autoimmune illness I mentioned earlier where they can't seem to resolve it or they've gone to nutritionists and you know in that field there's excellent things you can communicate to them about you know how to eat right and but yet they're still struggling with feeling good. And I was kind of one of those. I had some chronic issues with fatigue and I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. You know, it, it felt like it, some of it was just my body, thyroid, endocrine system, but some of it was really because I didn't know how to process my emotions from my history. And being a sensitive caregiver type of person, it was hard because I just didn't know how to remove myself from all those people that I was trying to help and I got too immersed in it. Um, so those are things that I see that make these signs, you know, where they, they've just been depressed and they can't seem to overcome it, even if they're taking medicine. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's that's really good. I, I know um, there's a psychiatrist I follow. He, he has mentioned that medicine can, can help for some people, but for some people it's, it, it's not treating what's actually going on and that could be unresolved trauma. And so another question I have for you would be some people like, for example, in my family, three of us witnessed the same thing and two of us were diagnosed with PTSD. One of us wasn't. And mm -hmm. so how is it that trauma can affect people so differently? Are some people just more sensitive to it than others? Is it, you know, part of that whole highly sensitive person thing? Um, what is that? Well, I, I agree with you about the highly sensitive person. I tend to be that. And I find a lot of my clients are, and they seem to take information in a much more heightened way. And, you know, I always give an example. If they go to the equator, they don't have their sunscreen, and they have fair skin. And so they take everything, all those rays they take in, and they make sometimes very poor assumptions about what's happening in their environment. So the same sibling, could see their environment very different based on their birth order, based mm -hmm. on how they process emotions, how um, the parent treated that particular sibling. I mean, because I find parents treat their children differently. Mm -hmm. That's one of the biggest problems. I've had several clients recently where the, the guys came in saying, you know, I was just like the black sheep. I was the one they, they ignored. Um, they totally left me alone and they gave everything to my sister, you know. So I, I see that sometimes in families where they had partial um, feelings toward one of the kids versus another. Um, it could be a range of things. Uh, it could just be their chemistry is wired a certain way too, where they tend to be more depressed or, you know, melancholy. Yeah. Oh, it, it varies, but I, I don't take it lightly because I feel like sometimes they compare themselves to their siblings. You might have found that, you know, and they wonder, why am I taking on this? But it's their reality. You know, it's how they felt growing up in that family system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. Um, so let's, let's talk about your book for a little bit. I think that that would be really good. You've got some, like I said, I, 
there are some things in there that really hit me hard. Um, one of the things you said, and I think it's the chapter about making friends with your feelings, is that negative feelings and turmoil are barometers of the pain that we carry. Yeah. Well, we know that when we have a strong reaction to something, like for instance, right now, people are having real strong reactions, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's um, about the racial inequality going on or whether it's about the pandemic, which I've had strong reactions to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those emotions don't just come from nowhere. You know, if it's, if it's because, you know, I felt something similar growing up, like maybe in my family system, I was ignored. I didn't have enough uh, respect or didn't have a voice. And I know in my book, you know, I shared about being at the dinner table and just pounding on the table, wanting to be heard, wanting to be seen. Mm -hmm. And out of that, you know, I suppressed a lot of my emotions. Uh, I didn't feel like I could express myself until I started writing. And writing really helped me. Somebody said, hey, just write a book for you. And I thought, wow, what a great revelation. It doesn't have to be for everybody in the world or whatever. It can be for me to process my own history, my own story. Um, so some of that came out in the book. And I, I felt like I was pretty vulnerable because I, I wanted people to understand my path. Not that it was this horrendous path, but it was just that if people can understand how you flesh out your emotional life on a more regular basis, then I think they stand the chance of not suppressing so much of that and keeping it, you know, at bay that they never have to feel those emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, that particular chapter that you mentioned about making friends with feelings was something that I felt very strongly about because I spend so much time just helping people learn, you know, emotions are God given. They're just there to indicate what we need and what we need help with. And so I found that if I could help them just identify, even have a vocabulary for feelings and realize that it's just energy trying to move through. It's, mm. it's a deep, dark trauma secret. It's really energy that's been trapped and hasn't been able to be processed. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, I think that that is also a good way to frame it, to give grace to people who are, oh, being belligerent on social media, you know, and people who just, mm -hmm. you know, spout out and shout out these things. And, um, you know, I, I think that's something I'm constantly trying to do is evaluate my reactions to what other people say, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm going to react out of whatever fears I have or whatever pain that I carry. And I know other people are just saying things out of their own emotions too. And, and one of the things that I'm constantly trying to remind myself of is when I have those negative emotions or feelings like, okay, what, it, what are these things that I'm feeling telling me? Like what's at the root of it? And I know you go into that a little bit about how to get that out. Like um, I'm angry because, and just journaling, right? Is that one of the I, ways that you recommend that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I found when someone said to me, journal right about, you know, what you're feeling, I was just like, how do I do that? You yeah. know, <laughs> I found that there's a psychologist, Nathaniel Brandman, who came up with this method of just writing a sentence stem and you complete it about eight times. Like I'm feeling frustrated because, or I'm feeling angry because, and then you'll pull out of yourself what you're really feeling and you'll see a theme. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not always about the circumstances, you know, it's yeah. eight times a deeper root I, I know for myself, you know, right now I'm kind of feeling, I'm feeling a little irritated when I go into stores mm -hmm. and it, it feels bigger than just the restrictions that are being placed on us. Right. It's a lot about control. You know, I don't like to be controlled. I don't think anybody does, but it also probably has a much deeper root and I'm trying to explore that, you know, then it's STEM and, and I wrote a blog on it because I think writing is always great to help you pull out of yourself what's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. I've, I have felt the same thing. I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was it that, that motivated you to write your recent book that you published? Lost and Restored. It was, it was interesting. Yeah. Lost and Restored. It's healing your heart with the father is the, the subtitle. 
I think what I was motivated the most about was um, people, especially in the church, but also people that don't even want to go to church, um, they, they don't feel like they're getting practical ways to process their emotions from hearing, you know, a good sermon or hearing, um, you know, maybe even going to counseling and, and not knowing how to really process through those emotions. So I, I wanted an avenue to help people understand that it's possible to get healing as you release those emotions and you begin to identify some of the history that you've endured that maybe is impacting you today. Yeah. And so it would diminish a lot of this, um, what we see today, a lot of the anger that we see in people, a lot of the um, unresolved grief. Um, there's anger towards God. And when people hold in all that, eventually, it, like we said, it just raises its ugly head in other ways. It can lead to conflict in the marriage. I especially experienced that in my own marriage, and I kind of got into that in the book because I felt like I had to understand how to stay in my marriage, but also how to deal with the, the feelings that were surfacing. I, I married late, and uh, I didn't realize, even though I had all this background in counseling couples, but I just didn't realize how it triggered me so much emotionally. Mm. And so I think you know, part of the writing the book was just to write out my own journey and my story, how I overcame a lot of those emotions that I didn't know how to deal with in the marriage. I could have easily gotten out of the marriage, but I chose to stay in because I believed it was really an inside job and it wasn't all about the spouse. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true for all of us, right? And all of our marriages and any relationship too. Um, I, we are kind of stuck with ourselves. <laughs> we can outrun yeah. other people, um, but the pain that we are carrying and, and those emotions and things, there's only, you can only outrun it for so long, um, which goes into that whole storage of, of the negative emotions. Um, yeah, so um, Along with, with that, uh, what is the main message you would like to get across to your readers and, and, and to anybody who is interested in your book? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing I see with people, and I've seen this just through the years, and I tried to get it across in the book, is that really trickles down to how we feel about ourselves and how loving and compassionate we can be with ourselves so that we don't have all the shame and unworthiness. And find unworthiness is just driving so much of our behavior, our performance orientation, that we have to be successful. Um, I know with people not being able to work as much during this pandemic, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't achieve. I can't do the things I used to do. And so a lot of that just really gets into that self-worth and that feeling of I'm not valued. So I think the biggest message is learning to, to know that we are valued. We're created in God's image. He does not create anybody that doesn't have some gifts and abilities and value. And I think for my own life, that's an, another part of my process that I've gone through is, is knowing that I am more sensitive, but it has its gifts. Because I'm more sensitive, I'm more hard on myself. And so I think learning to be more self-compassionate is what I tried to convey. Um, and knowing that we have a shepherd, I use examples of sheep in the book because I feel like sheep tend to be so wayward and they want to go their own separate path and they want to depart from being a part of a community or, you know, how the, the one lost sheep went off and had to, you know, just be on his own. And I feel that's what we do. We, we tend to isolate. We tend to be withdrawn at times. And we know that community is important nowadays, mm -hmm. more so now. And so those are things I wanted to convey in the book. Um, but there's lots of examples, lots of testimonies of people that have shown up in my practice and, and God has shown up and done this inner healing work. So I just wanted to inspire. Yeah. 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 So tell me a little bit about this, um, the other healing modalities that you use and that you work through. Yeah, that's um, always a, a good thing to look at because there are different ways that people can heal trauma. 
Um, one of the most common ones in the therapy world is EMDR. Mm -hmm. And that's a process that was developed by uh, Shapiro. And she found it by accident. She was actually trying to deal with an old trauma memory. And she found that with eye movement, she could begin to dissipate that trauma in her, her mind, her mindset. And it just began to change and go to more of a neutral place. So you can use that method um, in a powerful way. I've also brought that into a, a method that I use, or it's been trained to me to use it in a method that's more of a mind-body, Christ-centered way of inner healing. And that one is called Splunkna therapy. It has unusual meaning, means the inner gut of a person. Um, I've used that for a number of years, probably five or six, and seen some pretty powerful releasing of people that have held on to things that they didn't even know were there because we um, can get to the subconscious through some, some of that method. Um, there's EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is pretty popular. You can go on the internet and you can find different ways that people use a tapping method. And what they're doing is they're tapping on acupressure points. And each of those points really tie in with a meridian. And those meridians will basically hold emotional negativity. And so once you tap enough on those and you give a message to yourself of loving yourself in the midst of this problem, it will release uh, lots of emotional energy. So that can be even a simple one that people can learn to do on their own, which I love to train people on. You know, this is something you could take home and do for yourself. Those are the three that come to mind. There's also cognitive therapy I mentioned earlier with changing your mindset. I mean, every day we have to deal with that. We, we can perceive things a certain way today or we can perceive it in a more positive way. Um, so just shifting how you perceive being in gratitude over what you have rather than what's missing, all of that can, can shift your, your, they're finding now the brain chemistry is pretty valuable in terms of getting people out of fight or flight. Yeah. And so when people have had trauma, it's, it's interesting because they can't necessarily get out of fight or flight that easily. They need more of a creative, experiential way to process the emotional issues that they've held on to in order to get the left brain, the logic part of the brain, to get the message. So they just stay in fight or flight. And what's hard, especially as young children, they feel all these emotions in their bodies. So they have to actually express those emotions through, through movement or through maybe dance or through a game, you know, whereas adults can do the same, but it may show up a little differently as an adult in their therapy process. Yeah. So I just know that there are ways that people can get a right brain experience that will shift that emotion. And then the most recent way that I've learned is through kind of an inner prayer process where people recognize the parts of their heart that have um, are, are not synchronized. They're not coming together. And we know that we have parts and our heart holds on to, you know, almost like a guard to say, I won't ever have to feel. And so when you can bring those parts together and the emotions can come out, it can bring more of an integration to part. So I've learned that method as well. It's called um, heart sync and heart math was kind of the mm -hmm. precursor to that where heart math is more of a, a, a stress releasing method that gets people connected. And once they're connected to their heart, then all the chemistry in their brain, their mind and their body begins to come into more balance. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned that one in your book and it seems like I've heard of heart math. It seems to be buzzing around right now in the world of wellness. I've seen it a few times, seen different posts, and it's something I really want to explore more along with, you know, you mentioned EFT and tapping. Is that the EFT and tapping? Are they the same thing? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, they are. Yeah. What's, what's interesting about this is, and I want people to understand this is that 
that was first recommended to me by a medical doctor. So, <laughs> so this is not just something that is like, Oh, we're going to do these yeah, <laughs> healing things, you know, like that, that's a legit technique that my doctor said, you know, you might need to, you know, I was having a certain issue. And she said, you might be holding on to some resentment. Maybe you need to do this tapping thing. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and so I, I looked know. it up and, um, and it's, it's been really good. You know, I'm grateful to have be surrounded and have different medical practitioners in my area where I can kind of open my mind to these different techniques that seem woo woo, but really it's not at all. Um, our bodies, if we can store that much trauma and store all of these negative emotions, like surely we can find a way to break through from them and break free from them as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know when I first learned EFT, I was doing a lot of coaching with Tony Robbins corporation and they would introduce us to some of these different kind of out of the box methods. And I thought, boy, this could, it's just not rocket science. This is just basic, you know, tapping on little acupressure points and, you know, went to graduate school and why didn't I learn any of this? Well, it's relatively new. Um, it was kind of coming out of the chiropractic world and then eventually psychology, I think a psychiatrist developed it and kind of morphed it into more of a thought field therapy. And then Gary Craig developed EFT and they used it for a lot of veterans, um, have used it or phobias, you know, things that people just couldn't overcome. And it's just kind of almost amazing how easy it can be to apply. But some people do kind of see it as, as woo-woo or it's too you know, out of the box for them. But it's great when physicians like what you experience refer you to something that's really going to help with that emotional makeup. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, it's just being in the nutrition world, the more I study, I can, you know, look at all the different ways of eating there are, but if we're not also dealing with that, that mind part, the mind body and the spirit part, you know, like we're, we're missing out on a lot. And, and that's where I think there are gaps in even my nutrition training, you know, I need, I needed more. So, um, I mean, I will say the school I went to was integrative. So of course we got a lot of that as well, but I don't think when I was in it, I got it at the time, the way I'm starting to get it now. So moving in back into the, um, you mentioned fight or flight, you know, when people experience trauma, they stay kind of in this fight or flight mode. Um, are, are there certain things that trigger, I mean, you mentioned it's harder for them to get out of fight or flight. Are there triggers for them that can push them deeper into fight or flight, um, that can really prevent further healing? Is, is, is that a thing? Oh yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I would guess from what I've experienced, I don't even guess I have seen it that, they can go deeper and it's usually because some life event has shown up mm. is pretty profound for them. For instance, 9-11, I start my book with that because mm. I felt like during 9-11, I was actually getting married about that time, but there were people that they were just so immersed in fear because of what had happened to our country. And I knew it wasn't just what happened to our country, that it had much more deeply embedded roots. Um, what we're experiencing now, I think with these riots, um, I don't know, you know, it almost seems like it could be that they're in fight or flight because of something generational. Mm, I've wondered that, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of gender inequality that has been in our country, as we know, mm -hmm. way back with Abraham Lincoln. And I was talking with my husband about that this week. I was thinking, gosh, it's got to be bigger than just what happened in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm not to predict any of that. I just know from a psychological perspective that the brain does have a wiring going on and it just sort of goes back to those old events or mm -hmm. to even generational patterns right. that have been you know, it talks about in the Bible, the sins of generations. Mm -hmm. So if you've got generational issues around never having a voice, don't, you know, I don't feel respected, I don't feel heard, you know, all of that can be triggered by these life events. So I think in order to get out of fight or flight, I, I find people need to learn calming methods that allow them to relax enough so that they can get to the deeper roots 
Otherwise, they just keep recycling, for instance, people that maybe even stay in some kind of addiction. Mm -hmm. Addiction can be as broad as um, work addiction or busyness or, um, you know, not being able to, you know, like in today's world, there's a lot of people drinking more because of, mm -hmm. you know, so I think it can just be that people kind of camouflage what's really underneath those surface and then they stay in fight or flight that way as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And I, I have, it's interesting that you mentioned that I had that exact same thought is I thought that we've got, um, we've got a, a large group of, of traumatized people in our country that have not been heard. And, and it could be that this is just the expression, you know? Um, but also I think that when we isolate people like, like we have with this pandemic, you know, there's been a lot of social isolation and we lock people mm -hmm. up and, and the only engagement they have with the world is with the news or with social media. Um, I'm wondering what that does to us <laughs> when we are allowed quote, I'm doing air quotes are allowed to come out into the world, you know? Yeah. And I wonder what the outcome of this time of social isolation is, is going to be for us as a people. Are we going to be fearful of everybody. I mean, you know, you talked a little bit about going to the grocery store and, and I, there's just kind of like this, like I, I go into one aisle and somebody else does and they move away really quickly because they don't want to be by me. And I'm like, oh man, are we afraid of each other now? You know. And so, I mean, what are, I'm wondering what, how does that affect us as a people who, like you said, we need community, we need other people, we need to feel, um, we need to feel like we're safe or we have, you know, a safe environment around us. Um, what does this pandemic doing for people you think mentally and emotionally? Yeah, well, I've heard some mental health practitioners talk about it. And I think, I think it does bring up a whole area of, can I really reach out and, and be warm and connected again to others? Mm -hmm. I've seen both sides. I've seen some cashiers being very warm and open, even behind their masks. Mm -hmm. Seeing others like say I'm in a line at a natural food store and I'm putting my uh, things that I'm purchasing on the little rant, the little runner thing to get purchased and the person in front of me was just quick to tell me I couldn't do it that quick you know yeah. I needed to be six foot away and I'm like mm -hmm. I, I wasn't even thinking you know and then the mask you know is another thing wearing this mask, it's like it's covering up your mouth and you know expression in a way of who you are yeah. um see your eyes which is great but um you know it's just bringing up a whole set of what i consider um mental health restrictions <laughs> that people are going to be continuing to feel after we get through some of this yeah yeah i agree and it's you know everybody wants to talk about the new normal but i you know no matter when this podcast airs, you know, it doesn't matter. We're still going to be trying to wrestle with what's the outcome here and how do we move forward and, and what's it going to be like? And I think, you know, we're all asking that question. Um, so as, as far as healing modality, you mentioned going back to that, cause I, I think that's so fascinating, the EMDR and the Splunkna, the EFT, and then the heart math that you mentioned, those were the main areas. Um, in order to learn to self-soothe or self-regulate, um, what are some tips and strategies you give for people who are, are finding themselves in that moment of, okay, I've been triggered, I'm, I, I'm feeling a little panicky, maybe it's somebody who's having a panic attack. Like, how can we stay grounded in those moments that just come out of nowhere and, and we don't feel right? Yeah, well, the most obvious thing that people can do is, is notice their breathing. Because when you're really being triggered, the breathing just gets really stifled in there and you're not, you know, coming from deep down in your abdomen. So that's one thing. But then I think the other thing is, you know, it's an inter interesting how so many people can't really get quiet in their brain. They can't meditate or they can't um, even just spend time alone. And so I find that I've studied a lot about uh, the assessment tool, the Enneagram, which mm -hmm. is way that people emotionally get their developmental patterns and it's fascinating to me because we all kind of have different patterns 
that were formed early on. So one of the things that I learn every time I'm studying that is that to be able to be alone and just get quiet in your brain and to go to no content or to do even maybe like the heart math exercise, which is focusing on the area of the heart because we've now found that the heart has intelligence and it will actually bypass a lot of the brain circuitry if we just feel into the heart energy. Mm. That can do a lot to release tension, to release emotions that are pent up. Um, in some of the other methods I mentioned, the EFT can do that. Um, but I think I'm trying to have a concentrated effort to spend some time just getting quiet and allowing the, the it allows the true self to emerge more and not just be in this falseness of who you think you should be, like I'm people pleaser or I need to always rescue people or I need to, you know, have, I don't know, whatever our patterns are. Um, maybe some people are avoiding conflict at all costs. But what happens is if we don't connect to our inner self ever, then that part of us just gets shut off. And then it creates all this frenzy on the outside. Mm. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you mentioned Enneagram as a tool to do that. Um, just out of curiosity, what, what is your Enneagram type, your number? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. I went through a week-long training to try to figure out who I was, you know, and to get the training for Enneagram. And we had trainers that knew us and kind of observed us and could see, this is who I think you might be versus who you think you are. So I thought I was a nine because I tend to hold on to my emotions and then they come out in a big way. Um, and I don't like conflict a lot, but I have a lot more energy than a nine. Nines are kind of self-narcotizers. Yeah. I landed on the six pattern thinking, you know, maybe that's it because I tend to like a lot of security and um, I'm a head person some ways, but I'm a very emotional person. So I was trying to figure it out. More recent, I took the assessment, which is through the Enneagram Institute. Mm -hmm. And the six was really far down, and it showed me, I think, more who I am as a two. And okay. Others, they like to, you know, they really like to please others. Mm -hmm. And they don't like, you know, some of the rejection that goes on. And we talked about how with social media, <laughs> I was on a call this morning where the guy was saying, you know, if you're going to do anything on social media, just get used to the fact that there's going to be some rejection. There's going to be people that aren't always going to like you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where I camp out is number two. But it is such a comprehensive assessment because you can, you know, have these next door patterns. They're called wings and then uh -huh. you patterns under stress that you go to. So what about you? Well, I, I had the same identity crisis as you had, I think. I originally, I took like three different tests and I got a three every time. And I'm like, there's no way. I'm not a three. That is not me. And I landed on seven. I was like, oh, for sure. That's me. I'm really fun. I like to have fun. I'm good at having fun. <laughs> well, come to find out, my husband started digging into Enneagram and he's like, you are so a three. <laughs> So, so the assessment was actually correct um, because I am, I, I like, I'm very, you know, my worth is in my achievement and that is yeah. something that has been within me since I was little, a little, little kid. And I, I need to get all the accolades to feel like I'm worth something in the world, you know, which those are the lies that, that I kind of like, kind of have to break through and and work on. Um, but it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, thinking about mindfulness and, and having a hard time being still. I'm wondering if those of us like a three or like um, maybe like a seven, I'm trying to think of some of the other Enneagram types that are like the goers and the doers. I wonder if it's harder for us to sit still with our feelings and be mindful and listen instead of doing and saying, right? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's true. I think it is hard um, that, but I think when I've really studied it is that stillness is really good for any of the patterns, you know, learn how to get quiet and to calm your spirit down so that, you know, then the real true self can emerge more. I mean, your pattern is just how you learned to relate maybe to your parents and how you validated yourself you know like if if a two felt like they couldn't get something they couldn't please enough they can do enough with their parent the parent was just not 
responsive to that, then they walk away always feeling that, that, you know, somehow I'm going to not offer enough. I'm not going to give enough. I'm not going to please enough. So I can see how it, it has developed to undo that is possible. And that's the good news is that we can mm-hmm. and we can move a more healthy version of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I do. I, I love the Enneagram for that reason, too. It's like you grieve those parts that you don't like, but you also learn to move into the to the parts that that are beneficial. Um, yeah. So just because we I somehow time is flying and we are going to run out of time. Um, I want to know what specific work are you doing right now with people? Because I know that you are in Colorado, but you're also seeing people online um, like a lot of people right now. So maybe explain a little bit about what is available to people who are listening and going, Ooh, I want to work on some of this. What are you doing right now with, with clients? Yeah, well, I can do individual work, which um, it can be effective through zoom or some other method, but I, I tend to like to see a person and, and that be done. It's, it's different. And most therapy is different when you do online versus in person. Yes. Um, but the, the heart, um, kind of inner healing type methods that I've learned can be very effective to do that way. Um, EFT, I can explain that and go through those points with people and I can see them tapping on those points. That can be done online. Um, I do some online um, challenges and then some webinars. And those, some people like because they get psychoeducation and they feel like, Mm -hmm. I'm growing and learning about myself, even though I'm not having to spend as much money in therapy. So that can be effective as well. And I'm all about, you know, reaching more people so that more people can be transformed in this world and we can be part of a loving community. And then individually, I can do some of the methods I mentioned, the EMDR, the Splatna therapy, um, the, uh, I'm trying to think, some of the guided processes I do as well, you know, on the individual levels. Mm-hmm. It's really, um, I'm offering enough variety so most people can fit somewhere into offer. Yeah. And then I have, um, I, I just published, a, it's really just a, a little ebook um, that somebody can download off my site. And that is just on strategies to help them go through trying times. Mm. Put that together over the last month because I felt like people needed, you know, they just needed something to learn how emotionally they could navigate through this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's very timely for sure. <laughs> um, so one last question for you. Um, that's, you know, my typical in the show question would be if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone towards wholeness, what would it be? Yeah, well, that's a good one. (laughs) Best thing they can do for themselves is learn to love themselves. Mm. How many of us are our worst critics? And how many times do we judge ourselves throughout the day and speak harsh words? And then we're around our kids and we're loving toward them. Why would we be so loving to our kids and not loving with our inner, you know, kids? (laughs) And so I think just getting past that shame base and feeling I am valued. I am, I'm gifted. God does not create anybody without value. And so I think when that happens, then more and more can, you know, be opened up in his life. And I think that's why some of these methods work really well because they're dealing with that part of yourself that has been hurt and has been very fragile and hasn't known how to be supported. So those I would, I would tell everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. That's, that's awesome. So um, where can people get your book on Is it Amazon, your website, any? Yeah, I would suggest you go to my website. You can download the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Under, under shop, there is a place that you can get the book order from me. And that way you get a signed copy from the author. And that would be one way. It's not official on Amazon. It is as an ebook there, but July 8th, it will be officially on Amazon. Okay. So those, and then it's on a lot of the, your favorite online stores like Barnes Noble or here we have Tattered Cover. Um, so, you know, just look for it. Um, but I'd be glad to send you a copy and that way you can get started. In fact, that's a good way to get started because then 
each chapter has a lot of soul searching questions mm -hmm. yeah. in this process for you. And if you've never taken time to really explore yourself emotionally, this is a good book for that. Yes. And it's a good faith-based book that people have a lot of blocks in who they experience God to be in their life. And so I've tried to make it very friendly to people that are struggling in that area. Um, they don't believe God's loving. They don't believe that there's healing potential there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I really want to make another plug for the book because the questions at the end are very, um, like you said, soul searching. And there were things that popped up for me as I was reading it that I know I, I needed to be reminded of and I needed to hear and I needed to do some further exploration on. And so I'm really glad that you put it together. Um, I think what you're doing is brave work. It's hard work, um, especially, you know, helping people to break through generational strongholds, emotional strongholds and, and trauma. I mean, th this is a big deal. So um, I'm grateful for you and your, your courage and bravery in that. It's, it's a lot. So th and thanks again for coming to explain this on the show. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. And so my website is renewedlifecounseling.com, renewed, R-E-N-E-W-E-D, life counseling, C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. So I'd love Perfect. to have a further um, connection with you, but thank you, Erin. You've been a joy to, to work with here on this podcast, and I'm just so grateful for these kind of opportunities. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom. Now for a sneak peek into the Wondery Plus early access show, Blood Ties Season 2. Download the Wondery app and start your 30-day free trial of Wondery Plus to listen now. They're still out there, huh? Oh, yeah. You think they'll ever stop attacking Dad like that? You know, uh, maybe the driver should take us in through the garage. Why? Now, <sighs> they're not attacking Dad. They're protesting the lawsuits. They're protesting against the women. They're protesting against you. What? Every time these people go to the doctor or the drugstore, whose logo do they see? Dads, who built the synthetic valve that's keeping their parents alive? Dad, you threaten his company, they feel like you're threatening their health. There, there, there she is! You traitor! You bitch! Fucking bitch! Thanks for listening to the sneak peek of the Wondery Plus Early Access Show Blood Ties Season 2. Don't forget to start your 30-day free trial of Wondery Plus for ad-free listening, exclusive shows, binges, and early access in the new Wondery app. Download the app today. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those. <laughs>